Father in heaven, what an amazing opportunity it is to be able to come before your throne room this morning and to sit as your students and to let you teach us. We are excited. Our minds, Lord, are open and we're just asking that you would send your Holy Spirit right now to open our understanding, to bless us with a spirit of wisdom, to change our hearts and our lives so that as we go out into the world, that our lives would be an aroma of life leading unto life. We pray that you would be with all of the technical stuff that's taking place, that the presentation would continue, and that you would bless our ministries, our churches, and prepare our hearts to meet you at your second coming. In your precious name we pray and ask all these favors. Amen. Uh, so by the end of the presentation, you should be able to explain the link between storytelling and digital evangelism. You're going to name the important pillars and then also be able to list at least two practical ways that you can apply um, these pillars in your life or in digital evangelism. So these three important things are storytelling, building community, and sharing the gospel. The last part may seem as if it's an obvious thing, you know, it's a we're Christians, um, but I'm going to give you a different twist on it. But storytelling is what I'm going to spend a majority of the presentation on. I want us to be able to lay a foundation, a groundwork for digital evangelism, and that will make um, the other parts easier. All right, so let's dive in. We're going to veer off a little bit and talk about texting and driving. And you may wonder what it has to do with digital evangelism, but stick with me. So here are some statistics. The national, I'm not going to read all of them, just a few. The National Safety Council reports that cell phone use while driving leads to 1.6 million crashes every year. 390,000 injuries occur every year because people are texting and driving. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands of those of you who do it. Uh, texting while driving is six times more likely to cause an accident than drunk driving. Uh, texting while driving causes a 400% increase in time spent with eyes off the road. So, and if I were to ask you now, what was the most important part of that video? What would you tell me? Don't text while you drive. Don't text while you drive. What happened? What was the difference? Somebody pray that Dustin gets back soon with the charger. What was the difference between when I showed you the first slide with all of the statistics and numbers, and some of you couldn't remember, even Alex just now, who was writing down, still knew the most important part of that video uh, coming to you. Um, but then when I showed you the story, the young people suddenly went to being all jovial. They knew the statistics. But then when they met someone who had a story to share, everything changed. What was that? Why did that happen? Why did the video have a greater impact on you? Why did the story, meeting someone, have a greater impact on those young people than the facts? What emotions came out when you were watching the video compared to the facts? And why is this, why were those feelings evoked through watching the video compared to uh, the facts? It has to do with the power of storytelling. Now, for those of you who were here last night when I gave the presentation, I told you that 20 years ago, a story began to air on televisions across the nation that would single-handedly be responsible for changing the perceptions of millions of Americans on a very touchy subject. A study was done, and it's something that they call the will and grace effect. 
And what they found was that before this TV show began to air, American society generally was uh, very uncomfortable toward the idea of homosexuality, LGBTQ, all this stuff. 20 years later, the society is much more open, much more accepting. And here's what some of the researchers said. Art in its best form allows you to experience life and ultimately changes the way you view the world. And I'm going to relate all of this to digital evangelism. Will and Grace was one of the rare television shows to do just that. It was entertaining, but it did more than just amuse its viewers. The show undoubtedly opened doors and desensitized America to homosexuality. So whatever kind of stories you consume on a daily basis, whether it's through TV shows, movies, books, magazines, whether you watch 3ABN all day, or whether you watch some other channel and so forth, thank you. Those stories that you are consuming are changing you. Joe Biden, former vice president of the United States, said, Will and Grace did more to educate the American public than almost anything anybody has ever done so far. For years, um, LGBTQ activists were, you know, working on making it more acceptable and so forth, and then a television show airs, and 20 years later, it's something that's generally okay. Jonathan Gottschild wrote a book uh, called The Storytelling Human, The Storytelling Animal, and he listed nine stories that changed the world. Uncle Tom's Cabin, The Clansman, Rienzi, the last of the Roman tri um, tribunes, and then number eight, the Holy Bible. And of course, we're not going to classify the Holy Bible as a regular story, but we'll just go with it. And number nine, will and grace. These stories changed the world, and we're going to find out how. For example, let's look at number one, Uncle Tom's Cabin was the best-selling novel of the 19th century and the second best-selling book of that century following the Holy Bible. It is credited with helping fuel the abolitionist cause in the 1850s. In 1855, three years after it was published, it was called the most popular novel of our day. And a famous story that goes around is that at the start of the Civil War, Abraham Lincoln met the author of this novel, a fictional tale, and said to her, so this is the little lady who started this great war. The novel basically showcased slavery in such a way that it propelled people to work towards um, abolishing slavery. Stories, Jonathan Gottschall again says, stories we consume shape us profoundly. They change beliefs, behaviors, and attitudes because whatever is happening to the character is also happening to us. So a lot of American society we think, well, you think, I'm not American, but we think that a lot of these ideas we have, it's because we independently thought about these things. And this is what I truly believe when, in fact, we're being changed by the stories we consume. Each of you sitting here, by God's grace, you are here, your beliefs have changed, your attitudes, your actions have changed because you heard the gospel. And that's why you're here. Why do we feel afraid? Even when you're watching a movie that you know is fake, if it's a horror movie, you're still scared. If you're watching, I don't know, Mission Impossible or something, you know that it's fake, but your hands are still sweaty. Why is that? Why is storytelling so powerful? 
It's because researchers have found that your brain actually cannot tell the difference between a story and real life. So whatever is happening to the character is also, also happening to you. Another thing why, another research that showed the power of storytelling, persons who smoke, they have on the box that it causes cancer, but they still smoke. But they have a greater chance of wanting to stop if they meet someone who's either survived lung cancer or had mouth surgery or something, if they come face to face with the story. When we hear or read a story, the same part of the brain that would physically do something is activated. So if I start telling you a story of a boy who there are three bullies who are behind him and they are on their bikes and they're running after him and he is a cripple. This is the story that Jonathan Rothschild told and he's trying to run, um, but he's falling over. While you're hearing the story and I talk about the wind that's blowing in his face and the gravel that's under his feet, the part of your brain that would actually run is activated when you hear the story. The other part of storytelling that's powerful is that people remember information embedded in the story rather than cold facts. How many of you can tell me, again, some of the facts from the previous slide when I just stated the statistics? But I'm sure that you can tell me about the story of JC. Now, what does this have to do with digital evangelism? We're gonna come back to that, but we're gonna look at a few statistics. Every month in the United States, 422 people Google the question, why did God make me ugly? 103 people ask, why did God make me black? 25,000 people ask, who created God? Why does God allow suffering? And 30,000 people Google online church. Digital evangelism, basically, is the methodical use of using online platforms to help individuals who are online learn more about Jesus Christ. Because today, anytime we hear something new, anytime we want to do something, we go on Google or we say, hey Siri, you want to find a restaurant? Like last night after we finished our booth and I was hungry, I went on Google and I'm like, restaurants near me. Uber Eats and food was at my door. We Google everything. And people are searching for the gospel and searching for Jesus Christ. But what are they finding? Websites, blogs, social media sites, podcasts, chat rooms, discussion boards, all of these and other platforms are used to share the gospel. Digital evangelism is also important for the Seventh-day Adventist church because it helps boost our presence online. I don't know, how many of you have ever Googled Seventh-day Adventist before? Wow. Let me just see a show of hands. <laughs> All right, hands down. How many of you are proud of what you see online about Seventh-day Adventists? Folks, so if you aren't proud about what you see about Seventh-day Adventists, now imagine your friend Johnny finds out you're a Seventh-day Adventist and Johnny wants to find out more. He says, I'll Google you guys. You'll be like, uh, wait, don't Google us just yet. How about you just... Do you know why we have that reaction and we don't want people to Google Seventh-day Adventists? Or if you're a canvasser and you hand a book, The Great Controversy, and that person's like, hey, Siri, who's Ellen G. White? It's because 
of some of that negative content, some, a lot of the negative content that's online. Because there are people who are either ex-members of the church or who have a misunderstanding of our beliefs, they are using digital platforms more effectively than you and I. Members of other denominations, they're using these platforms because they so sincerely believe that people should stay away from our church. And do you know what we do? We're very comfortable with coming to our conferences and our board meetings, and we leave the online world, and everyone with their own story is telling it. And we're not using digital evangelism. Um, Another point about this. The Mormon church spends millions of dollars every single year on digital evangelism and SEO. About 10 years ago or 15 years ago, they did not allow their missionaries to use social media on their two-year mission trips. But then they realized, you know, the internet is very powerful. People aren't opening their doors to missionaries anymore. So you know what we're going to do? We're going to train our missionaries to be online missionaries. So right now, and I did it, you can go to mormon.org and they will have online missionaries who are there to answer your questions. You know what else they did? They started to give their online missionaries access to social media (coughs) and access to the internet and ask them to share online. The other thing that they do in their general conference sessions is that they invite every single one of their members. They said, whatever your passion is, whatever your ministry is, do an online version of it. As a result, does anybody know the piano guys? The piano guys, um, a lot of these, sometimes these YouTubers who are putting out awesome content, they're Mormons. And they know you love their content, you are going to be more interested in who they are, and the Mormon church has been growing exponentially over the last decade because of their use of digital evangelism. The other part of digital evangelism is that there is a discipleship aspect that focuses on making disciples of followers, and I'm going to expand on this later. So let's go back to storytelling. The success of your online ministry depends on how well you tell a story. Now, you might wonder to yourself, Felicia, is that even a biblical concept? I need to just be able to go out there, preach, list all the scriptures, and not tell a story. Well then, let's just look at the example of the greatest missionary. Jesus' ministry was centered on telling heart-transforming stories. He spoke in parables. The the holy book that we follow is one grand, amazing story. He could have given us chapters and chapters of rules and rules and rules. Thou shalt not eat veggie links for breakfast. Thou shalt not do this. But he didn't do that. The entire... No, you should eat veggie links for breakfast. That's okay. Um, But it's an entire story, a beautiful story that depicts the love of God. And in his stories or parables, he was able to relate to his listeners. He was able to help his believers understand. He concealed the mystery from those whose hearts was hardened. And he created us as storytelling beings. So the Bible says that whenever Jesus spoke to his followers, he always used parables or stories. So Jesus used the power of storytelling. The enemy as well has a counterfeit. 
So because he realizes that this is such a powerful tool, because he knows that he can change the attitudes, beliefs, perceptions of people, he uses storytelling as well. So why then aren't we using the power of storytelling more? Now we're going to jump into three ways that you can practically grow your ministry using storytelling. Number one, instead of sharing cold hard facts and scripture without context, and sharing scripture is very good, share stories of how the gospel changes lives. Um, a few weeks ago, I was sitting in an office and a friend of mine who's Muslim, she's not practicing, she's Muslim, I just met her actually, and she was just talking about how stressed she was. And this was a Thursday evening. She's stressed and she's tired and she hasn't been sleeping and so forth. And I started telling her, oh my, I really wish you find some rest. I said, you know, for us and our faith, we sincerely believe in rest. Like we take one day out and we relax, we stop everything, we worship with other believers, we eat a whole lot of food, we spend time with family and friends. I kid you not, she said, can I do that with you please? I said, yeah, sure. And she literally, she's like, can you tell me more? Like, what is it? Why do you do it? I said, yeah, it's something called Sabbath. It's on the seventh day of the week. And she, I did not even have to invite her to church. She invited herself. She said, I need to experience Sabbath for myself. And then I went to tell her, we do it because God is so interested in us taking a vacation with him every single week. Like, he loves us that much. And then I began to share the scriptures. But you know what we tend to do? You need to worship on the seventh day of the week because da-da-da-da-da, here are the scriptures, here are the scriptures, here are the scriptures. But we never share the story of how it actually changed our lives. If someone would still be willing to smoke after reading very clearly, smoking will cause cancer. They are willing to still kill themselves after seeing the facts. Why do we think that, and uh, Paul very clearly says that the gospel to those who are not saved is um, foolishness. If their minds are not converted, why do we think that we can just take scriptures and throw it at them and it's going to convert them? It won't work until they actually see or hear how the story has changed your life or how it's changed the lives of others, you won't even have to invite them to church. You won't have to invite them to keep Sabbath. You won't have to tell them about returning tithes or taking care of your body. They will be running behind you. Please tell me more. It's the power of storytelling. If I see my sister here with a really nice hairstyle, we being really interested in hairstyles, and she tells me the story about our hairstyles and all that stuff, I'm going Tell me where can I meet her, how much it is. She won't have to convince me. When there's a sale, we tell the story. We see a new product. We watch a new show. We so eagerly tell the story, and others are just drawn into it. Person telling stories rather than sharing cold facts. So that's one thing I need you to remember and begin to apply this to your online ministry. The other part, share your personal story. Whether you have a website, whether you have a podcast, a YouTube channel, a blog, Facebook, your personal story, people cannot fight against it. If the gospel has not changed your life in a way that you can boldly exclaim, this is what Jesus Christ did for me, how do you expect anyone else to follow it? 
How do you expect anyone to purchase a product if you don't believe in the product? If I have my phone, and I'm gonna fare off a little bit off subject. The iPhone is something that they use, they're not just selling you a product, they're selling you a way of life. They have found that iPhone users and Mac users, for example, have the sort of frame of mind that they would literally fight with you if you try to tell them that Android is better. Because, because Apple has done so well with selling the story that if you use these iPods without any um, wires, the thing that can really fall off, it makes you a step above everybody else. Even your text message is a different color. You're blue, well, I'm blue, you're green, and I'm a little bit, am I telling a lie? It's a story that they're telling you. It's a story that you're, they're feeding you, and so your mind is consumed by it, and so you will go out and sell their products for them because they've um, sold you a story, and then you share your own personal story about your experience with it. Yesterday morning, was it yesterday? The days are sort of meshing into themselves. On my way to the airport coming here, my Uber driver, it was 4 o'clock, I had a 40-minute ride to the airport, and I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to get in the car, and I'm just going to sleep. He starts talking from the minute I get in the car, <laughs> and he's asking where I was from, um, if I speak French, and I said, yeah, my parents are from Haiti. I spent a year in France, and, he's, and he said, oh, yeah, the part where you know, it's a lot of wine. You must have enjoyed it. I said, I never had wine. He literally almost like stopped the car. He's like, you never had wine? Could not believe it. I was like, no, I, I never had wine. So he goes on in disbelief. Why? Is it a religious thing? Because, and this is, I'm going to talk about knowing your audience. Because the minds of people already are incensed against religion already, if you approach the reasons why you do things or don't do things because of religion, it shuts down their mind immediately. So I said, listen, me and my friends, we have enough fun just drinking apple juice alone. We could drink apple juice all night, laugh, have good fun. We wake up in the morning without a headache, without a hangover, without any bruises. And we remember, you think we really need wine? And then I said, also, because God is so concerned about our bodies, he doesn't want us putting anything in our bodies that's going to cloud our judgment or that's going to hurt us. By the time he dropped me off to the airport, this man had asked me about Sabbath. He had asked me about the state of the dead. He had asked me about where he can find a Seventh-day Adventist church. Why? Because it starts off with sharing your personal story. On your church website, I want you to think, for those of you who, your communication director of your church websites, how many personal testimonies are up there? Your Facebook page. Think about your church's Facebook page. If you look at the events, are all of the events about the evangelistic series that's coming up, inviting people to church, inviting all this stuff, or are you actually taking the time, using your phone on a Sabbath morning and asking sister so-and-so, for example, hey, in one minute, can you just share your story? Share what has God done for you. A church that I attended, we used to go live for five minutes every Sabbath morning before Divine Hour. 
we will give viewers a behind-the-scenes look of what the pastors and so forth are doing before going up on stage, and then we would call a church member and say, share your week and what God has done for you. We had people walk in after watching, going to our Facebook page, watching these videos and say, we saw the stories and we wanted to be part of whatever your church is doing. Because of what we were doing, sharing our personal stories online. Most of us associate digital evangelism with just sharing the facts and all of that is great. But you have to remember, you can have a really good gift, but if you're not packaging it properly, well, on the other hand, sometimes the value of something is not. You still want to make sure that you package it really nice. And so we have a gospel, and we want to make sure that your experience of it, that you're sharing it online. The other thing that you want to remember when it comes to digital evangelism and storytelling, consider the action you want your audience to take and craft stories showing characters taking that action. Um, near to the end, I'm going to have um, Dustin come up and share specifically how his ministry making calls to action and what that has done in his ministry. But one thing that I realized working at the Center for Online Evangelism, going through our church websites or through Facebook pages, is that a lot of us are not actually making calls to actions to the members of our audience. What is it that you want someone to do as a result of reading your blog or watching your video or listening to your podcast? Jesus wanted to teach his followers to love each other. He had told them very clearly, love your neighbor as you love yourself, and they still were not doing that. So you know what he did? He shared a story. And remember the power of storytelling? When you hear a story, whatever's happening to the character begins to happen to you. And if you consume the story enough, it begins to change your perceptions and your behaviors. And so he tells them the story of the Good Samaritan. And he's like, this is what it means to love your neighbor. And so instead of just telling people, love your neighbors, he, crafted, he shared the story. And in that story, he was showing his or telling his listeners what they need to do. How do we, how do we share our stories online? You can use blog. You can use podcasts. There's Facebook. There's YouTube. There's online small groups. I'm going to talk more specifically about that later. And then there are articles. So that is one of the main things that I need us to remember when it comes to having an online platform and what it is that you're going to do. Each of us here has a different experience with the Lord, but one of the main things is that he has changed our hearts and he has saved us from sin, and he's continuing to work with us and prepare our hearts for his second coming. So whether your platform is going to be through video sharing or through taking photos or writing, whatever it is, remember to share your story, to share the story of others, to think about what is it that I want my audience to do, and then to craft a story around that. So the first pillar of digital evangelism is storytelling. The second pillar is community building. What do I mean by this? Working with churches and doing training, 
One of the main things when we hear digital evangelism and having a social media presence is that we want to build a bigger following. We want to increase our reach. We want more likes on our page. We want more people watching our live stream and so forth, all that stuff. We want more followers. But I would say to you, digital evangelism is absolutely not about building a larger following. If you just want to increase your numbers to your website, or on your YouTube channel, or to Facebook, follow these people. Selena Gomez, these celebrities with how many millions of followers, they know how to build a following, but they do not know how to make disciples and change the lives of people for the better. Social media ministry is not broadcast ministry, it's not broadcast media. Broadcast media is a television information going out. It's like one way. There's not really another path to allow the audience to communicate back with you. When we get online, we're always supposed to remember that we need to create that avenue. We need to create an atmosphere to engage with our audience. Building an online, connecting with your Connecting your online audience with a physical community is also important. And creating an online mission station or community hub with help will help people to connect. And what do I mean by that? At the end of the day, have you all heard about virtual churches? Yes. Okay, so it's the thing where you can just put on the virtual mask and you attend church. You don't really have to be a part of a physical community. For me, that's a bit, eh, you know? Um, the, 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 the faith walk, you need other people in your life. The aim or the end point of your ministry definitely is to connect people to Jesus Christ so that they can have a saving relationship with them. But you also want to encourage that person to form or to be a part of a physical community of faith. At the end of the day, no matter how digital we get, we still need human touch and contact. We still need that connection. So you want to make sure that you are building a sense of community um, with your online audience. Okay, um, David Wesley, gentleman in Canada, just started creating these videos on YouTube with just himself. And he had this idea, I could build a community. Those persons right there formed a virtual choir. They're people from all over the world different races, different backgrounds, different ages, all coming together and producing something beautiful. That is the idea of online community that I want us to keep in mind. It's not just about you creating the content and putting it out there. It's about you creating a sense of community with people, whether they are in Timbuktu or Jamaica or Bahamas. You have all of these people who are part of your online community, and then you're encouraging them. Hey, find your local Seventh-day Adventist church this weekend. Visit them for some sort of Bible study and so forth. And here are some examples. We have a few minutes, and I want to bring Dustin up in like five minutes. How to build community in a digital environment. Engage with your audience. Start a Facebook group. I'm going to come expand on that. Launch online small groups. Create an email list. We're just going to look at two of these very quickly. Facebook, earlier this year, changed its algorithm. Mark Zuckerberg decided that now they have almost 3 billion people on their platform. His goal is not to get more people on the platform. His goal now is to get people who are on Facebook interacting more with each other. And so now they are ranking <coughs> pages and groups of organizations that have people interacting 
between each other. So now, even if your church has a Facebook page, you wonder you post something and no one is interacting with it. Like, why is that? It's because now they want your church to have a Facebook group so that the people can interact with each other and that ranks higher. You can start conversation. Your page followers become participants. So let's say your church is Hillside, Seventh-day Adventist Church. You can have a group for young people, single mothers, married folks, whatever. You can have all of these different groups within your page. So it's like a house with different groups and whatever interests people have in your church or within the community around your church, they can join groups. And that helps you better to interact with people, to meet their needs, know their interests, and it gives you a better opportunity to invite them to your church. You can learn more about your in audience and it increases your reach. I'm going to skip this part here. Online small groups is something else that you can do when it comes to digital evangelism if you already have a platform. Uh, so you can download like a platform like Zoom. And what that allows you to do is you can send out a link to people, whether it's on your Facebook page, for example. You want people to come together because people have this... Uh, hesitation towards just walking in a church, maybe you can just start off by saying, hey, on Sunday evening, we have a group for marriage counseling, and you have your, I don't know, family ministries director of your church, who just goes on Zoom, totally free, you send out the, the, the link, you invite people, and they just log onto their computer, and for 45 minutes, you share marriage counseling tips, or someone in your church who does a cooking show, go live on Zoom and teach them how to make absolutely delicious tasting tofu or something or support group for single moms on friday evening for 30 minutes you just go on zoom and you invite people what you're doing is that you're showing people that the gospel is something that it's practical that it's a part of their lives and it's not just this mundane thing but it's something that can actually change their lives all of these is just small groups but it's online and you're getting your audience used to the concept of learning from each other, coming together at a specific time, worshiping God. So the next time after three meetings or so, you can say, hey, you can visit our church if you're in the area or there's a local Adventist church near your address. That helps them to be prepared to meet within community. What I'm realizing, the more and more digital evangelism is becoming popular in our church, is the idea that what's important is just building relationships and community, and that is good. But what we have to remember is that when we build relationships with people, it is not the end. It is a means to an end. It's not just saying about, yeah, we want to reach out to this community because we want them to know that we love them and so forth until we build a relationship with them, and then that's it. Like, even heathens can do that. What's the eternal purpose? At the end of the day, there has to be that specific call to action to accept the Lord Jesus. Because when Jesus comes, those people aren't going to say, well, I was friends with Felicia's online ministry, and so God just... No, it's whether that person has made that decision for Jesus Christ. So whether it's your YouTube and you are sharing your personal story, great. If you have a Facebook page and you have a group and you are connecting with people in your community, that's absolutely awesome. But at the end of the day, you have to make sure that you are giving people a very clear, um, what's the word I'm looking for? A very clear opportunity or an invitation to accept Jesus into their lives. Amen. 
Now, hope through prophecy um, does this in a very beautiful way. Dustin, I'm going to have you just come up. He's the president of Hope Through Prophecy, and I'm going to let him tell you what he does, how he makes a specific call to action, and also this year you did something really exciting when you traveled and there's sure. baptism, and you, so you can just take that away and then I'll end it. All right. Good morning, everyone. Or is it the new afternoon yet? Still morning, technically. Uh, good to see everyone today. As Felicia said, I am the president of a ministry called Hope Through Prophecy. And I do want to talk about what Felicia asked me to talk about. That is making appeals, giving calls to action to viewers. But I want to give you just a little bit um, background about what I do, what kind of ministry I have, um, so you can see the context of how I make appeals. And basically, I have been doing a, a YouTube ministry uh, for less than a year. And it's called Hope Through Prophecy. And how many of you seen, have seen that YouTube channel, Hope Through Prophecy? All right, some of you, okay, appreciate it, thank you. Um, but I have over 61,000 subscribers, over 1.6 million views, um, less than a year. Um, so God is really blessed. I can't take the credit, to God be the glory. Amen. But also, collaboration has been a big piece of that. And that might be something that uh, Felicia talks about as the, the seminar continues. By the way, very, very, very practical seminar. I'm thrilled that ASI is having this seminar. I encourage you to keep coming. Uh, Felicia has a lot of great information. Keep coming back. You will learn a lot. You will become much more effective as a digital evangelist. Um, so what Felicia said is very true, is that when you are doing this work, you have to have a goal in mind. It can't just be to, you know, to get more subscribers or, or more views or something like that. You want to have a purpose. At Hope Through Prophecy, our purpose, our vision is to bring viewers from broadcast to baptism. And the way we do that is engagement. We have to engage with the viewers. We have to give them a way to respond to the messages that they're seeing. And so there's a couple ways that, that I do that with, with a YouTube channel that I have. Uh, one way that I think, never really seen anybody else do this, but we have a texting service where we use a short code text. And so what we do is in the video, we say, it depends what the topic of the video is. For example, I recently did a video about the Sabbath. And at the end, I said, if you would like to find a church that worships on the Sabbath, just text the word HOPE to 50597. And so when people do that, they get a link where they can provide their information. And I can follow up with them. And I can text with them. Um, texting is good because... More people answer their texts than emails. I think they say like over 95% of people answer text, and emails is like 20% or something like that. Um, so that is a way that, to give viewers a real, actual way to respond to what they're watching. Because here's the thing. As we go online, as we do digital evangelism, there are so many other people competing for the attention of viewers. All right, so we have to do something that that kind of rocks people, that kind of stands out, okay? Because people have a natural tendency in today's day and age, and if you're a Bible worker, you might have run into this, is people will do Bible studies, they'll go through the study, and then at the end, they'll basically say, okay, that was nice, see you later. And they won't see the importance of making a decision. Because we live in a day and age where people are used to watching programs, Oh, that's nice what you said about the Sabbath. That's nice what you said about the state of the dead. Now what? Who cares? 
And so it's important to call people to a decision, to give them a call to action. And that's what Jesus did. You know, he said, follow me. Um, and so one of the ways that, that I do that using YouTube is at the end of my videos, I will say, um, I'll give a very specific call to action that they can do. Uh, for example, I have a video called The Fall of Lucifer, and that's basically the great controversy. It shows why evil started, why God allows it to continue. It answers a lot of those questions that people have. And the appeal at the end was simply, I choose Jesus. That was the appeal. Very simple. If, if you agree, I think I said something to the effect of, um, if you would like to ally yourself with Jesus, um, you know, if, if you would... I forget how I said it, but essentially, if you want to choose Jesus over Satan in this battle between good and evil, just write, I choose Jesus in the comment section below. And as you look in the comment section, it's just unbelievable. You know, all these, I think there's like thousands of comments on that video. Um, and it's just people saying, I choose Jesus, I choose Jesus. And I used to be an unbeliever. And some people say, this vid after this video, I choose Jesus. Some people will say that. You know, I don't know if that's true, but you, know, you get a lot of beautiful, powerful uh, testimonies from people. Because people aren't always used to being asked to do something. Um, usually it's just, well, this is information, let me go to the next video. So it's important to give them a call to action. Um, the other thing is that Felicia made a very good point, is that our goal, we should have a purpose in mind. And... As we give people calls to action, we should have some sort of plan to engage with them. Um, again, the plan that I have is to actually bring people into the church. Um, and social media is a wonderful avenue to, to do that. And it's not something that's a replacement for public evangelism, but I look at it as a supplement. Um, recently, I was invited to go to the Philippines, Manila, Philippines. And I just praise the Lord for that opportunity. But we were able to, to use Facebook to actually generate over 200 Bible studies um, prior to that event. Because typically a Bible worker will send out um, little cards where people can mail those in and you know, people can sign up for Bible studies. And I've done that before. I've been a Bible worker before. But what I noticed with those cards is most of the people who respond are elderly people. Now, we love elderly people. Elderly people are awesome. But is that the one audience that we want to reach out to? We want to reach out to everybody. And not everybody uses uh, snail mail, you know, putting stamps and everything like that. And so using the Facebook, I actually did a little simple Facebook video, and I linked it to an online form, just a Google form, um, where people could sign up for Bible studies. And that proved to be very effective. Um, we had some Bible workers in Manila that followed those up. And we had uh, 27 baptisms. And it was just a small, you know, kind of a small budget series in, in Manila. And uh, I'll be going back to Cebu City this fall to do it again. Um, just because it was, it was very efficient um, using social media to generate those leads. And so that's pretty much what I wanted to share. Do we have any questions? Okay, that's an awesome question. Thank you so much for asking. Can you repeat the question? 
So the question is, and in regards to human resources, how many persons do you need? Content creators, content distributors, um, persons who are going to engage. So it all will depend on what exactly you're trying to do. So let's say it's just you personally, that you enjoy writing and you enjoy writing devotionals. Um, the way you set your schedule, you can say, you know what, I'm going to write one day and then I'm going to distribute my content another day. So you just have to find what will work for you. But if you are working with a church, you want to make sure that you are enlisting volunteers and others. Um, so maybe someone can write a blog, write a content or write an article, but you have someone else for the website. You don't want to over, um, overextend yourself. So if you start with one platform, um, start with that and get persons to help you. And then if you have more help, more human resources, then you can grow. But it helps, especially if it's Facebook, to not just have one person managing your Facebook page. Because if you go live, you want someone who's doing the technical part, but then also answering questions. So it just depends on the size of your church or the size of your ministry and what it is that you want to do. In his case, what does he do? In his case, it's just, it's just Dustin, who is recording, editing, posting, and all that. It's just you doing for, for now. <laughs> yeah, because it, it grows. And at the end of the day, you do need help. And the point is to just start with what you have and who you have. Yes, um, that's, that question was the basis for the formation of the Center for Online Evangelism. Um, because we realized that a lot of people, there was a study that was done that found that 60% of people who visit an Adventist church or who, have, who attend evangelistic series stop attending because they go and they Google Seventh-day Adventist or a family member or a friend who knows, who thinks they know about Seventh-day Adventist told them about it so they stop attending. And so it's not an easy fix because this is years and years or even decades of damage that's been done. So there are several things. One is, we call it online reputation management. Um, and that's the whole system. And it involves several things. One, the websites, the NAD, the GC, has made it possible for every church in North America to have a website. If each church were to properly update websites, constantly put up content, use SEO, we would actually be able to... Um, yeah, it's sort of create, generate more content. But because we just leave our websites there and we just post the dates of our services and we're not constantly updating, Google is like, okay, well, that's not relevant content. But these other websites are constantly posting, they're constantly updating, and they're, yeah, they're more up to date. And so Google actually ranks those negative websites higher. And so that's why we're trying to change we're trying to train ministries and churches on what it is you need to do to make your website better so that it ranks higher. And then the other thing is how we can get our church members to get online and generate more content so that when people actually do search for us, they would find content that we're generating. Um, but I think, unfortunately, a lot of us are stuck in the traditional ways, and the traditional ways are not bad. But you have to remember that the way that we used to reach people 30 years ago in North America isn't necessarily going to be the most effective way. So if we can get more of our members creating content online, linking to other um, credible Adventist websites, when people do search what is Sabbath, for example, the websites that hold the top spots for what is Sabbath goes to Wikipedia, the Mormon Church, and Jehovah's Witness website, actually, for, for Sabbath. And then the other high-ranking one is Sabbath Tree from Amazing Facts. 
Well, I don't want to hold you guys any longer because I want you to come this afternoon. Thank you for attending and God bless each of you and your ministry. This media was produced by Audioverse for ASI, Adventist Layman's Services and Industries. If you would like to learn more about ASI, please visit www.asiministries.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.